When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin, the auto editor here at HowStuffWorks.com, and I'm joined by Ben. Hey, Ben, what's your title this week? Oh, uh, this week, funny story, I uh, actually got promoted. I am Roundhouse Coordinator. Oh, very good. Very good. I've been known to give somebody a roundhouse here in the hallway. That is that is true, yeah. Yeah, things aren't going my way. Well, we've just, you know, it's, um, well, you know how it is. Sometimes in a big company, you got to cover all your bases. Mm-hmm. So there haven't been that many roundhouse-related tasks for me. Mostly I'm arranging my desk. <laughs> oh, very good. Very good. Shuffling papers, things like that. Yeah, yeah. Just looking busy. Well, I would say that I am busy. Oh, you definitely are. So, yeah. I try to walk with paper in my hand. That helps, too. That, that's a good one. I've yeah. seen you doing that. Yeah. They told me to follow you specifically due to that. <laughs> hey, you know what? Yeah. One quick thing before we get going here. Yes. I saw something this weekend that I thought I would share with everybody. Is this another episode of Stuff Scott Sees? It is. Yes, because um, I thought this was really unusual. And I'm going to show you a quick picture of this, and then I'm going to take it back. Because um, I, I saw one of these this weekend. I'm, I'm handing a photo over to Ben. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's a, it's a Maserati Marek. And I saw it in a in a lot this weekend, a car lot, and it was rusting away to the point where you could see through the doors. That's a shame. Yeah, it was really, I mean, in terrible, terrible condition. But you look at it, and it's a it's an Italian supercar, really, from the early seventies. Uh, it was built, uh, you know, like seventy two to eighty two, and it had a V six engine. It was like the the Maserati Bora. If you're mm. familiar with the Bora, then you know what this looks like. It has less glass in the back. It's um, it's got two. Uh, Great big flying buttress type beams that come down from yeah. the, the, the back, and it's uh, it's a really awesome looking car, but um, really unusual to see that. And I don't know, just even you know, it shows or anything like that. And here's one rusting away on this car lot with three other 
Uh, I think it was old MGs that were there. That's terrible. Um, yeah, I know. I, I just really unique. I mean, when you look at it, it's a beautiful mm-hmm. car. If, mm-hmm. if they could just restore it back to, to original condition, but this one is in such poor condition, it needs completely redone. I mean, everything oh, wow. new, all body work, everything. It's like a restoration that would be on a television show. Yeah, that exa- level. that level. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a complete redo. But um, anyways, I thought that was a, a unique car to see on you know. I don't know, just kind of a, by chance over the weekend. Yeah, it's just sad to see. Maybe next time you see it, it'll be back to its original glory days. <laughs> I don't know. I've passed by this lot before, and it appears to be kind of a graveyard. Oh. Uh, like maybe this is the last stop for this thing. We yeah, should do just, something on car graveyards. It seems like maybe it's scrap metal at this point. Yeah, but we should maybe in the future do one on car graveyards. Love that idea there because I could comb through a, a, a junkyard for days mm-hmm. looking for things. I, I don't even know what I would select out of there, but I like to just look and see what's there. And also, you never know the story behind those cars or how they got there. Ah, very good, Ben. You're right, you're right. Because uh, there's always a story behind, well, every car, really. But mm-hmm. some have, uh, I guess, more fantastic stories behind them, right? Yeah. And so what we thought we would do today is just uh, something a little different. We're going to uh, tell everybody about a couple of cars with unusual stories. Now, we've done this before in past podcasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've had a few mm-hmm. that we've mentioned. What were some uh, of the, the Batmobile. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Batmobile. James Bond cars. Yeah. James... Uh, James Dean. Yes, sir. Remember we had James Dean's car. And the Cursed Spider. Did I say that right? James Dean's car. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, um, yeah, the, yeah, the Cursed car. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there, and I don't know, maybe were there some stories in the, uh, in the Hearse episode, maybe? Yeah. Possibly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. I bet there were. But, uh, you know what really got this, this rolling for us this week was that I went to, um, the show that's at the, the High Museum of Art here in Atlanta. And there's a show called The Allure of the Automobile. Mm-hmm. And they have, um, just some fantastic examples of cars from what they call the the um, the golden age of, of motoring, which is, according to them, 1930 to 1965. So these are some uh, you know pre-war cars, a little bit of post-war cars. You know, just beautiful, beautiful examples. You know, like Duesenbergs and Pierce Arrows and things like that. Um, some of these cars were owned by famous people. Clark Gable had a couple of cars on exhibit there. Well, mm-hmm. whoever owns them now, they were formerly owned by Clark Gable. Right. Um, Steve McQueen's car was there. Um, of course, you know there was like a, a Stingray prototype, the you know the Bill Mitchell car that we talked yeah, about. Yeah. Not the not the green blue one, but mm-hmm. uh, the silver one that they made, the Stingray convertible um, prototype. Rather, uh, there was a Tucker there, which I think really? would pique your interest. Yeah, yeah, that's one of your favorite cars, yes, right? Sir. And. Um, one of the things that really, uh, really kind of got me excited was I was reading all the little stories that went along with these cars and how, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's some, there's some fantastic history that goes along with a car that's 90 years old. Um, so I thought maybe we'd, uh, we'd talk about a couple of these. Like, it just, just as a quick example so that you know what we're talking about. Yes. Por ejemplo. One of, one of the Clark Gable cars was a 1935 Duesenberg, uh, JN Roadster. And his wife gave him this car as a gift. Those Duesenberg gave him, as, you know, as mm-hmm. a gift for quite a gift, I'll say. But yeah, um, she died apparently in 1942, and her name was Carol Lombard. So she died, and according to the Duesenberg Registry, they said that um, Gable, Gable left instructions for the vehicle to stay in Canada and never to return to the United States, specifically to California, where he lived while he was still alive. It was just too heartbreaking for him. He didn't want mm-hmm. to have anything to do with that car, and that's where it stayed. Uh, so he owned this Duesenberg that just remained in Canada for X number of years until he died, and then it was brought back to the States and, and restored to its you know, former glory. But, uh, that, I mean, that's just one 
One tiny little history. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot more, there's some that are far more interesting than that, than that as you go along. But, um, these cars are all, uh, restored to Concours level. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these are the types of cars that you'd find at a Concours show. Um, and a lot of them, like I said, they, they, if you talk to the owners or if you listen at the Concours shows, you'll hear a lot of these stories. Sure. If you go to the judging booth or where, you know, they can drive the vehicle through and you get to see it in motion. I've, I told you I love that part. Right, right, um, yeah. But, you know, you have to wait, you have to wait there as each one comes through and tells a story. And it could take, you know, a Hours. full day or two days even mm-hmm. as they make their way through this, this, uh, booth. But honestly, a lot of those stories are definitely worth it because you find out some just fantastic things in their history that you'd have no idea or no, uh, I guess there's no, no way to say why this car should even be here. It's that right. it, some of them are very dramatic. And then when you get to, that's an excellent point because when we get to a certain age with a car, you, one has to assume that there are just going to be stories that have grown up around it. True. You yeah. know, there's not one Model T where in, I'm sure in the United States where someone goes, well, I don't, I don't really know how that thing stayed running. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, when you look back at, uh, you look back at like the Corvette history. In 1953, you know, Corvette was the car to own at one point, and a lot of them, there were very limited numbers. They were hand built. They went to a lot of, um, a lot of movie stars, a lot of c- celebrities. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of them have a history to them. And those are very desirable cars because they have this, uh, you know, you could look down the owner registry and find out who owned this vehicle. And it may be, you know, an actress, an actor, mm-hmm. uh, movie star, some kind of local celebrity Head or of state you know, even. Exactly. Yeah. Um, heads of industry. So, um, a lot of them, you know, you'll find that, you know, just with age comes these great stories. And, and, um, that's the case with a lot of these that we're going to talk about today. We're, we've only got a couple, really. Yeah, let's, but, let's jump into, yeah. uh, the first one. Oh, go ahead. Do you want to, you want to go with the first one or do you want me to? Well, I've only got the one. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so, got a, yeah, yeah. I got a couple. So in All addition right. to the, um, in addition to that, let me, let me you know what? I'm going to skip one here. So let's we're doing this one. on the fly, but I'm yeah. going to show you a picture of this one right there. Okay? Oh, that, wow. That's nice. Light blue, huge car. It's a Rolls Royce. Rolls Royce okay. Phantom. Now I've seen this car in person. Mm-hmm. This was at, this was on display when I saw it at the um, the Imperial Palace Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. It's part of the uh, the auto collections that they have there. Mm-hmm. You can you know pay five bucks or whatever it is and go up and see these cars and they're beautiful cars. They have Johnny Carson's car there, um, his first car rather. Um, they have all kinds of automobiles and most of them are for sale, if not all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Huge rotating collection. Well, this is a 1925 Rolls-Royce Phantom, and I specifically searched this one because I remember this story. Um, forgive me if I'm reading just a little bit from this, but this comes right from the uh, the Auto Collections website. Um, the car, okay, so this car was one of the first new Phantoms to be built in 1925. Okay, it's an all-weather tourer, so it's a convertible, but it does have the you know the side windows. You can you can add those. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, records show that there was an accident shortly after it was bloated onto the docks and bound for America. And the the cargo ship that it was carrying this vehicle yeah. ended up on the bottom of the sea. So uh, this this vehicle, along with this 1925 Rolls-Royce Phantom, which when you see it in person, it's like a concourse car. It's beautiful, absolutely spotless. Mm-hmm. Um, this thing has been at the bottom of the ocean. And... It was recovered, you know, not long after that because they knew what was on board. It was a valuable cargo, you know, so they, they brought everything back up. Uh, they sent it back to the Rolls-Royce factory, and it was completely rebuilt, and they, they put a brand-new chassis on it. So the bodywork, everything else is, you know, all original. Everything is original as can be. Sure. Um, and then they kept it around as their development car for the next three years of its life. And this specific vehicle was said to be the, um, the personal transportation for uh, Henry Royce, for that period of time. Really? Yeah, so Henry Royce of Rolls-Royce fame was, uh, this was his car for three years. 
Um, so you can imagine the value associated with something like this. The car of the king, basically. Exactly, yeah. And it, it was – so it was completely reconditioned uh, back to uh, – by the factory in 1928, uh, just prior to it being sold as a secondhand vehicle for a lot of – what they just say, a lot of money. Um, but it was sold to a lady in Scotland. That, that's in quotes. Um, just wait, wait. What's in quotes? Scotland or lady? Lady, <laughs> lady is okay. because it was apparently a noble lady of some type. Uh, okay. um, they don't they don't specify who. But it was just just after the outbreak of World War II, and she donated the vehicle to be used in the Scottish division of the Red Cross. So wow. this vehicle then now they they cut the entire rear body work out. They they removed the whole body work of the, the rear end of this vehicle, and they called it chopped down. Uh, but they they turned it into an ambulance. So this this Rolls Royce, this twenty five Rolls Royce, was an, was an ambulance at one point in its life. Wow! And it's restored back to what you know the way it was. Um, but what they said was really strange about this is because um, the color of the vehicle was changed from uh, from yellow over black. Um, let's see what it, it was. Yeah, to- color vehicles previously changed to yellow over black, emulating the storyline of the Rolls Royce chronicled in the film The Yellow Rolls Royce. Um, and then it was restored in the early 60s and brought back to its original color scheme, uh, which was the blue that you see here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 1967, it was shipped back again uh, to the United States um, via the Queen Elizabeth. And so, it, it, it made the trip yeah, successfully it, 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 Yeah, so it's, so it's gone back and forth and back mm-hmm. and forth. It's this car that you know has been all over the place and it's got this fantastic history with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, this thing, can you imagine this this vehicle being on the bottom of the ocean? Uh, it's about as difficult to imagine a phantom being on the bottom of the ocean as it is to imagine a phantom as an ambulance. Right. You know, <laughs> that's true. To be candid very with you. true. Very true. That's crazy. That- I, I know. So it, that's just one. This is one vehicle and and one point in history that that all of this happened to. And mm. it could have just ended when it when they loaded it on the dock. You know, several days after it was built. And oh well, we lost that one. So this this vehicle right here, this one we're starting off with, has actually been shipwrecked and. Uh, served in the military. Yes. Which is more than I've done with and my life. Gra- <laughs> and greatly modified and then brought yeah. back and then and then mm-hmm. modified again and then brought back and just over and over and it changes hands and it changes owners and they do what they want with it and then eventually it comes back, you know, now it's back to its original, I guess, glory. And what's the, uh, what's crazy is the, the question these always lead to, these sort of stories always lead to is how in the heck did this thing survive and mm-hmm. is... Is it going to continue as this weird storied existence? I don't know. You know, because now a lot of them are safely safely locked away and supervised. It could be, but you know, let's say that it, uh, you know, it's going to make the trip across again. Let's say that the let's owner wants, say, to, yeah, wants to ship it back again. What happens if midway it, uh, you know, it falls over the edge again, or you know, the the uh, not falls over, but you know, the ship sinks again? Sure. What happens then? Do they do they restore it then? Do they bring it back up for a second resurrection? Well, you know, a huge uh, demographic of our audience uh, is composed of treasure hunters, so hopefully it wouldn't be down there too long. <laughs> treasure hunters. That'd be it, a cool job. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think about it on a daily basis. It's kind of weird. <laughs> you should go for it. I should. Yeah. I should. Um, all right. Where are we going next? Ah, you, go ahead. You want me to go? Uh, okay. the one you got there. I've got one that's a little weird. I'm going to take it down. We're, we're doing the down and the weird stuff in the beginning, mm-hmm. so maybe we'll get to a happy ending later on. Um, I'm going to butcher this, but... Scott, what I would like to tell you about is a certain 1911 Groff und Stift double Phaeton, which was uh, which was driven by Archduke Franz Ferdinand uh, on the or not driven he was riding in it used by him mm-hmm. uh, on the day of his assassination, mm-hmm. which you know many historians point to as the tipping point for World War One. Yes. Okay, so. 
it's you know there there are a lot of crazy things that people will say about this but what we want to focus on is the car before i say anything about this let, let me just tell this, everyone this, this is, is a bad luck car this is a bad luck car okay got this it. is a this is a james dean cursed level okay, car got it which means that it's anecdotal and there's not really a way to prove this stuff okay so here's what happens here's what here's what they say um Let's see. After he was after, let's start on the day of the assassination, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, after the first thing you can blame it for being cursed, right? If you want to have a rack, have it rack up a body count, as you could say, it is indirectly responsible for twenty million deaths in World <laughs> War. True. Yeah, I guess. I, mean, I think I, I think that's indirect, but yeah, that, to say that that's pretty uh, that's pr- a big blanket statement. So. I, it, yeah, it says that it does. Okay, the internet says right. that. Yeah, you know, this is just like I see. The, okay. Actually, the the person who says that is um, listed as an attendant named uh, Carl Bruner at the Vienna Museum. Okay, where the where the Phaeton is allegedly. I'd held. like it to be on the record that the car has nothing to do with the assassination. I would also like that on the record, but you know, this is part of the car's unusual story. <laughs> Understood. So, okay, so after, unfortunately, um, the Archduke and the Duchess, uh, are assassinated, um, they have an, a governor of Yugoslavia who has the car restored and decides to make that his car. Now, this was, the, I've got a photo here. This was a pretty, pretty high class car and sure. it was also painted blood red. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Uh huh. And so they, you know, it's a very controversial, exciting color, you know, makes quite an impression. So when they restore it, you can only imagine that they would have thought about the paint scheme. That comes into play later. Mm -hmm. So governor of Yugoslavia has this vehicle. Um, Allegedly, he loses his right arm in an accident, Hmm. and he has multiple accidents, and he decides that the vehicle should be destroyed. Mom always said keep your arms inside the vehicle at all times. Yes, and I know I have two, but I'd like to keep that <laughs> myself. Um, so he has a friend who's a doctor who thinks it's ridiculous that you would be superstitious about a car. So he has it, and then he drives it for a while, and apparently it overturns, and they find him dead beneath it. Hmm. And then another doctor owns it again, and then he sells it to a race driver, uh, a Swiss race driver, and uh, he dies, the race driver dies of a broken neck, a uh, farmer uh, has the car next, and this is all, of course, allegedly. I think sure. it has a bit of a conspiracy theory tang to mm-hmm. it. And then uh, two farmers die in a mysterious uh, tow car incident when the vehicle stalls and then starts of its own volition. Hmm. Uh, and then they say the last private owner was a fellow by the name of uh, Tiber Hirschfield. Uh, and he... Th- he decided, you know what, man? Maybe the problem here is just the red paint for some reason. <laughs> so what did what did uh, Mr. Hirschfeld do? He painted it blue, and uh, he got some friends of his together. And he said, "Hey guys, let's let's go on a trip um, where he and the four guests died in a head-on collision." No kidding. Well, I mean, again, wow. there's not really a, an effective way to confirm this. You know, it's kind of a what's the, I mean, just. Roughly, what's the body count up to at this point? Because well, that's let's see, that's five, two, so we got seven, yeah. eight, um, nine. Wow, not, not counting uh, the archduke. This is so crazy. Counting them, it's up to eleven. I gotta admit, that's a little bit uh, shady. Well, that's sure, cra- sure. And how you know? Again, how are we going to verify it? But it's a, it's a great story. Um, and then 
So they the car is rebuilt after this collision. So how many times has it been repaired and rebuilt? <laughs> and it's taken to a museum in Vienna. And then uh, eventually the Allied bombers bombed the building. Oh, okay. So it was uh, destroyed in the war. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's also a lot of skepticism, uh, which I tend to agree with, and says this story is kind of bunk. Yeah. Um because it's just it's weird to think that people would keep rebuilding the vehicle, but uh, there's there's debate you know about whether or not the one on display is the real one, and uh, there there are a lot of people who say that the vehicle wasn't destroyed during the war because mm-hmm. there's this legend about the guy we mentioned earlier, Carl Bruner, how uh, someone found his hands, just his hands, on the steering wheel. Oh, come on. And that's obviously not true. I had to save <laughs> that one for on. the end. Really? That's Just like his that, hands. That's like that campfire story, you yeah. know, about the guy with the hook. With the hook, Who shows up on the kids. Yeah. Yeah, um, which is probably also not true. You know true. what, Ben, though? Um, honestly, this is interesting. When I went, when I was uh, going through the High, uh, the High Museum, mm-hmm. uh, there, were, there were stories of vehicles that were hidden during the war uh, behind false walls. Uh, they were just walled in with bricks or, you know, some type of uh, other wall Sure. Material, uh, because uh, they, you know they didn't want them to be found, uh, to be looted during the war, and uh, they said you know some cars were buried in vaults or they were buried, just covered in plastic and buried or, or you know a material like that, but let's say burlap or something. Sure, knowing that you know in a year or two, hopefully they were thinking uh, they'd be able to unbury those vehicles and, and bring them back out without you know fear that they would be confiscated, taken, using for uh, you know spoils yeah. of war, I guess. Right. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of stories of vehicles that uh, have been hidden away mm-hmm. during during the wartime, and uh, especially World War II, there were a lot of uh, you know this, this clandestine type thing happening just before uh, you know the enemy invaded, and, and mm-hmm. interesting that you know some of these cars made it only because of that, you know that it was it was walled up, and only one person knew where this vehicle was for years and years, and then eventually they went back and just chipped it out, and it was there. Some still probably haven't been found because I, people passed away unexpectedly. You know what? That's that's a very interesting thought because that's that happens, and well, they'll find they'll find vehicles like that. It's mm-hmm. just like a it's like a, a treasure hunt. You know, that's what they call the barn find. Yes, yeah. yes, sir. Yeah, we've talked about that. We've taken it. We've taken it a little bit sad. We've taken it a little bit spooky. Let's let's take it somewhere else. Hmm. What do you got? I don't know if I've got anything that's less sad. All right. Well, then let's take it to downright tragic. Because <laughs> the, the last two that I've got here uh-huh. uh, both have sad elements to them, um, unfortunately, because that's, that's how a lot of these cars transfer hands. Yeah, um, that's true. But uh, there's just some good news on the way, so we'll, we'll just go ahead and dig into uh, it. Here. I won't break out the violin. I'm going to show you yet. another picture of this one. This is a uh, 1937 Mercedes-Benz 540K Special Roadster. Wow. Also on display at the museum. And this is this is one of the ones maybe that, uh, that got me thinking about this as a topic today. Yeah, um, look at that. This car, if you can imagine this car, this is a huge car. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like, it, in person, it's about. It seems like it's about twenty-five feet long. Big pipes coming out of the uh, out of the front end of it here. Yeah. Um, you know, wrap around windshield. It's a beautiful car. Red leather interior, silver. Um, this five forty k special roadster, believe it or not, was a graduation gift to a sixteen year old girl in Germany. What? Yeah, exactly. Her she was a baroness. Her name her name was. Okay. Uh, Gisela von Krieger. That's her name, Gisela von Krieger. And so what happens was, you know, as the war breaks out, the family, uh, the entire von Krieger family moves to Paris uh, when the war begins, right? And uh, then they moved on to London. Mm -hmm. And 
of course, you know, the entire time they're fleeing the Nazis, and they're, as one person said it, they're, they're always one step ahead in the in mm-hmm. this fabulous 540K is how they, they worded it. Right? Oh, wow. Because it's like they're fleeing the Nazis in this in this fantastic car that we're looking at here. Um, after that, they they actually, when, when Paris finally fell, um, she was actually named one of the ten most beautiful women in the world at that point, this Baroness was. So huh. it gives you a level, you know, an idea of who, what we're dealing with here is like, you know, the upper level of society, sure. the upper echelon here. Um, so the um, after the war, the Baroness immigrated to America, and she took the, the car with her again on the Queen Mary. Okay? We've okay. mentioned the Queen Mary a couple times. Yeah. Uh, so the car comes over here to the United States. Uh, she settles in Manhattan, and they have a, a homestead. In, they have a, a place in Greenwich, Connecticut. And they stored the vehicle, or she stored the vehicle for over 40 years in a shed in Greenwich, Connecticut. And uh, this is beginning around 1953 until the early 1990s, Ben. Wow. Um, she died, I think, I want to I say that she died around, I thought it was 1989, uh, because they found her, I guess they, um, here's the way, the way it went down. Um, someone who was a... Um, Let's see, I want to say he was a caretaker. Yeah, I think he's a caretaker um, at the at the Greenwich grounds, the facility. Okay, sure. Um, he knew of the car, and he wanted to buy the car later in his life. He he said, "You know, I know she's got this car in storage. I want I want it. I'd like to you know put an offer into her." So mm-hmm. he tried to contact her, couldn't contact her. So he uh, he goes and you know convinces the landlord that you know I I need to you know talk to her, visit her in person. Yeah, exactly. So they go up and they knock on the door. Um, you know, no one's there. They go inside. They discover that she's dead, and she's died in just these these horrible conditions. They oh. they call it squalor. They no. said that it's just terrible conditions. So there's this baroness mm-hmm. who's gone all the way down to this this terrible condition. And I don't know if it's an apartment or what, but mm-hmm. um, this is the late '80s, early '90s. And held on um, to the car. Exactly, she held on to the car the entire time. She never sold that vehicle because I think it was you know probably the last uh, bit of that life that she was kind of hanging on to at that point. That's my guess of this whole thing, mm-hmm. but. Um, you know, then it then it was finally sold. You know, it was part of the estate, and then it was finally sold to the the current owners, which are the uh, the Harringtons. And the Harringtons own a fantastic collection. It's one of these you know enormous yeah. collections like you'd find in museums. You know, this is sure. all part of one family's collection. Um, and they finally restored it to its original condition, which is what, the way we see it now. Um, and they said that the, they said it was in really like almost. Well, almost original condition. Uh, they said the paint was peeling off of it, and they even found cigarette butts in the ashtray that had uh, the Baroness's um, lipstick lip, lipstick on them. Really? And they found a, they found a white glove underneath the underneath the seat that belonged to her. Wow. Um, so you know, it's just interesting that this thing ever made it that long. I mean, it stayed in a shed in mm. Connecticut for forty years. I mean, and you look at it, and it's clearly. I mean, oh, you know what? As a capper to the story, after it was restored. Mm-hmm. It won best in class at Pebble Beach in 2004. So that's, I mean, it's the top of the top when you're winning yeah. the Pebble Beach, you know, the Conquerors event. You can't really go anywhere else. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's uh, that's the, the upper end. You can't even win the next year. No, exactly. That's how. Exactly. Yeah. I, you know what? I've got to say, man, you're making me feel like a bit of a heel for not making it to the museum. And boy, <laughs> was that story tragic. We've, we've got one more for him, right? I, I do, and I'm going to give you an abbreviated version of this one because this is a uh, this is a complex, really complex one. This um, is a boondoggle. Yeah, I'm going to give you a, a picture here. Oh wow! Okay, and a lot of a lot yeah. of readers will have have read about this or seen this in the in the past years. I've, I've heard about this thing for about ten years now. 
Um, that's how long it's been in the, in the news. Um, it's about the missing Daytona Coupe. And a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I know about that one right away. And other people this, are going, go on. This is one of the strangest stories you will ever hear about a car. And I, I encourage everybody to read about this one because the, 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 uh, the version that I'm going to give you here is just the, uh, the Cliff Notes version. Uh, super fast, but there's so much to this story. Um, it's tough to even begin, begin. You've got a picture in front of you, right? Yes. What, what do you see when you see that, that car? What do you, what do you say when you, Look at that picture. Well, first off, you can tell this car is definitely made for speed. You can tell it's been through something, mm-hmm. been through a lot, uh, because the, the paint is messed up. There's mm-hmm. dirt. There's, looks like there's some corrosion. Those tires are busted. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the hubcap's looking rough. Doesn't even look like it's got, uh, the windows on no. the driver's side. No, it's all broken down. It's got body filler. It's got, mm-hmm. looks like somebody, uh, scribbled something in yellow pen yeah. on yeah. the side, maybe. Uh, paint of some kind, hand, handwritten script. Looks like it just barely made it out of wherever it made it. It's, it's a rough looking car to say the least, right? Yes. Okay, this is the, uh, now, just so you know what we're talking about, this is one of the, um, this is one of the uh, the the Shelby Cobra Roadsters, one of the six that were ever made. Okay, and that should give you an idea right there. Yeah. That car right there that you're looking at mm-hmm. is worth four million dollars. As is. As is. Wow. As is. Yep. And that's uh, that's what that's what it eventually went for. But there's a really complicated story that goes along with it, and it goes all the way back to, of course, Carroll Shelby. Um, he was working on on these Roadsters trying to beat Ferrari in mm-hmm. its class. I think it was a GT class at the time. Because uh, you know Ford had that intense uh, competition with Ferrari at one point. You know they right. wanted to buy them, wouldn't said, "Okay, we'll beat your own, at your own game, mm-hmm, etc." Mm-hmm. Okay, so then Ford decided that he wants uh, Shelby to concentrate on the GT40 program, which you know is highly successful. Sure, but he had to give up this uh, Daytona Cobra Coupe project that he was on, and they made six cars only. So he uh, he pretty much, I guess, he just put the Shelby put the cars up for sale. You know, these race cars are up for sale. Got to recoup your losses. Exactly. And, uh, you know, the, the specific one they're talking about is CSX 2287. And that was the first one that they made. And that one was, uh, sold originally to, and I'm going to just go through this quick. I, I swear. Jim Russell, who was a, uh, was a slot car shop owner in, um, man, where was it? Somewhere in California. We also did slot cars. Just a plug. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He owned, uh, Russ Kit slot cars in, uh, I thought it was in California. Mm-hmm. Anyways, he sold, he sells the car to Phil Spector. Phil Spector, the. The wall of sound producer. Exactly. His work with he, the sells, Beatles. he sells the car to Phil Spector. Now that was some kind of an odd thing because, um, there's another part of that story here where it says that when he tried to sell it, he couldn't talk directly to Phil. Uh, because he's a bit of a recluse, right? Right. So he had this lawyer with him, and he drove it up to the house, and he had to he had to stay outside with the car, and his his lawyer went between the house and outside making the deal until they agreed on a price, and I think it was like seventy five hundred bucks for this car, and finally Phil came out and he signed the check and handed it to him, and that was how the deal was done. That's it. That's it. And he saw him just that one time, and that was it. Now Phil, you know, he's a recluse, like they say, and that's somebody who usually hides away. He's the one who painted all that stuff on the side, the side of the car, on the doors. Ah, okay. And it says things like, you know, holder of, uh, you know, X number of speed records on the Bonneville salt flats and driven by this person and mm-hmm. won this race. And it's, it's the history of the car. It's that the he, genealogy almost. It's the genealogy car. of the car that he wrote out on the side of the car. Now, is that somebody who doesn't want attention? 
that is someone who wants uh, attention, at least for their car. I, or- yeah, yeah, exactly. And I guess he racked up a ton of speeding tickets in the car uh, because it's a, it's a race car, right? <laughs> right. And he's yeah. got it on the street. So he you know, he eventually decides, like, i got to get rid of this thing. Or somebody advises him to get rid of it, I think. The parking ticket's um, alone, Philip. He took, a, he took a shop. He took it to a shop to see about, you know, converting it to street use because – it, it it was already on the street, but it was getting really hot inside because that's yeah. what race cars do. Sure, and you know it just wasn't it wasn't a street car. Let's Comfort get it, let's, is not part of the let's equation. Be honest about yeah. this, right? So the the um, the mechanic says that it would cost him a lot of money to convert it to a typical street car because you know it's it's very raw in the condition it's in right sure. now. And he says that he, the the mechanic offered to scrap it for eight hundred bucks. Okay, <laughs> so Phil says no way. I'm going to take it home, and this is where. The story deviates in a lot of cases because this eventually goes to court in modern day. Okay. okay. Um, Phil apparently – now, this is all just hearsay, right? Hearsay. Okay. He apparently sold it to his bodyguard for about $1,000 because, you know, he's saying that he would have scrapped it for 800 bucks. He right. said, I'll give it to my bodyguard for 1000 bucks." His bodyguard's name was uh, George Brand. Now, George gave it to gave it to his daughter. Her name is Donna, Donna O'Hara. And Donna – Stashed away the car, wouldn't tell anybody where it was. She kept. She had a storage locker, right? Okay. She puts it in the storage locker, and it just sat there. It sat there for thirty years. Oh God! Thirty years. No wonder. No wonder so, it was so beat up. I know it's unbelievable. So, okay, fast. You know, we go all the way forward to two thousand, the year two thousand. Yeah, we're nearing the end here, Ben. I promise. No, no, from the seventies to two thousand. Yeah, we're up to two thousand now. Okay, yeah. so this is thirty years later. On October 22nd of the year 2000, they find Donna O'Hara on a uh, – I think it was, she's on a hiking trail. Okay. You know what immolation is? Yes. So she had self, – Set herself on fire. She set herself on fire. She had a couple of gallons of gasoline. She poured half of one onto herself. Oh, no. Lit herself on fire. Didn't do the job. Didn't kill her. So she's in terrible pain. Oh, uh, no. Police find her on, on the trail. She lived for something like 15 hours, Ben. Still, oh wow! Yeah, and uh, but she did die that day, and okay. she wouldn't tell them her name, wouldn't tell them anything about her. When they asked her her name, she just told them to shut up. So it just outright said, "I'm not going to tell you anything. Shut but up! I want to die." That die. Time. Yeah, exactly. I want. And she was saying, "I want to die." Wow. She the weird part. Well, not that. Not okay. that that's weird. Yeah. She also did that to two of her pet rabbits. So they found two of her pet rabbits along with her on the trail. Strange. Wow, there's something going on. I know, there. really, really bizarre. I guess she was just about to be fired. She was divorced. She was just always this really, really cautious, uh, you know, character that, that stayed to herself. Very strange. I guess Carol Shelby even had gone to her and said, "I want to buy this car." Now, over the years, over the the three decades, yeah, some people knew about this car, and the offers started coming in. Like one of her childhood friends said, "Hey, I'll buy that car from you, and you know, help you pay off your house, and you know, um, et cetera, et cetera." Um. You know what? Maybe maybe that's not. Hang on one second. I think I may have uh, might have misspoken there. Hang on. Uh, one guy. Sorry about this, Ben. But um, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. You know what? It was an attorney representing Ch- Kurt Goss. So I was right. One of one of uh, her childhood friends. Mm-hmm. The attorney said, "I'll give you half a million dollars for that car." Wow. And she said, "No way. You know, just get off my property or something like that." Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the the offers began to advance, and they knew where, you know that she had the car. Carol Shelby himself eventually went to her with a two million dollar offer. Two million, yeah. Or and uh, you know it just went up and up and up, right? Yeah. So and she said no every time. Exactly, she said no every time. So um, maybe Shelby is only a million dollars now. That I think about it. Anyways, we're getting you know it gets to the point where it's very very expensive, right? And she's still not full. Exactly. Man. So she dies, and Goss, you remember this childhood yes. friend? 
he knows of the car, of course, and he says that she had instructed him, if anything happens to her, to take care of all of her belongings, including four cars. The one that she had in storage, plus three others, which were like an MG, uh, Geo Metro, and something else. I forget what the other Geo, one was. One of those things is one, not like the other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So um, he says, okay, that's that's including the cars, and I have rights to get into the storage, and she had indeed written his name as one with access to the storage unit. Lucky so break. He goes over, you know, cuts the, uses yeah. the bolt cutters to cut off the lock and finds the car there, puts a new lock on, et cetera. Then he goes about, you know, saying, I've got this great car. He yeah. did, actually, he didn't, didn't take it at that time. He tells her mother about, uh, her, her own daughter's death because she had no idea. She's such a recluse that she didn't know. Wow. This is like a month later. Okay. Um, her mother says, Hey, I, I found this, you know, she's going through her things, her personal things in her house, finds this letter for an offer of $2 million for this car in storage, says, well, yeah, I'm going to call this guy, and you know we're going to get the two million dollars. Yeah. Um, thinking that you know it goes to her because she's the mother. Okay, sorry, no. <laughs> I'm getting out of breath here. She, she, uh, she calls the person who made the made the offer for two million dollars, but she had done a research and found out that one had gone for four million dollars prior to this. One of the other six. Ah, smart, smart. And knowing that this one is in rough condition, you know the guy said, "Well, I can give you two for it," and she said, "I don't think that's going to do it. How about three? Because the four million was her perfect version, a restored sure. version. She says, "How about three? And he says, "Okay, it's three million bucks." So here's her seventy-eight-year-old mother, who's now, a th- you know, got three million dollars sure. for this car. But Goss still thinks he owns it. Uh, he thinks that he's got possession of that property, even of the, though exactly, yeah, okay, exactly. So she sold the car. She starts. She's sold the car to someone. He takes it and you know takes it away. Sells it to another collector on the East Coast. I think it was a surgeon, a doctor of some uh, kind. Oh no! Sells it for something like thirty-seven, you know, three th- three million seven hundred fifty thousand or something like yeah. that, right? And it, you know, it just goes on and on like this. And then it was auctioned for four million dollars. So it's up to four million dollars at this point. However, the mother that sold it for three million gave away a portion of her money to a charity, and I think like eight hundred fifty thousand dollars to some friends, and then. The attorney said, wait, you didn't have right to sell that, so he's tied up the other $2 million that she had. So she can't even access uh, it's it. like frozen. And, and she owes fees for the uh, the money that he says she still owes, the other $2 million. Oh, man. So there's this big thing going on, right? And then yeah. during all this court proceeding, Phil Spector's Phil, <laughs> way back when, you remember yeah, Phil yeah. Spector? Phil Spector sends an attorney who's a messenger to say he never sold the car. He just thought uh, he was giving it to Brand to – Store it for him. Really? Yeah. Really, really Philip. Really. Yeah. So <laughs> Phil Spector gets involved again, and this is in you know or you know mid two thousands, I guess. Okay. Before his little trouble, that he yeah, had, right. Big trouble, I should say. Sure. Um, so, but the attorney is um, Robert Shapiro. Remember OJ's attorney? Yeah. So this thing has got all these great big names involved with it, and so Robert Shapiro is there saying, "No, it's Phil Spector's car, and here's why." And, uh, you know, they had no right to sell it, and Brand had no right to have it. Who You know, Brand is now 90 years old. Yeah. His daughter is dead. Wow. The wife, who's 80, has sold it already, you know, and given the money away, or yeah. some of it anyways, and it's all tied up. And it's just a, a big mess. But this car has this unbelievable twist, you know, these, these, the history that's involved yeah. with this thing. Yeah. And I promise you, now I know that was long. I, I apologize. <laughs> but why well, do you, you got to stop apologizing, man? No, I know, I know, I know. It shouldn't have been that long, but that is the that's the Cliff Notes version of what's really going on here. If that's you read, the bare bones. If you read this thing, it, mm-hmm. it's more twisted than what I've told you. It's got it's got more twists and turns, and there's just incredible things happening with this vehicle. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know, 
this is pretty unusual, but I think that there's a lot more there are a lot more out there like this. Yeah. You know, where there are stories that, that are really complex. Mm-hmm. And if you take time to read about them and understand the history, I think that, you know, a lot of these are I don't know, they're they're better than fiction really. And if you actually own a vehicle uh, that is used or that you're uncertain of, you know, as far as its history it just goes to show, man. You a lot of the cars we picked obviously are very high end, recognizable cars. Mm-hmm. But you never know what happened to your car before you did, unless there was a smoker driving it. You can always tell <laughs> if there was a smoker. Yeah, sure. You may have a celebrity's car in your in your uh, in your garage. You never know. Right. I don't, but somebody. <laughs> <laughs> you could have the John Voigt car. Remember the, <laughs> from uh, from Seinfeld. <laughs> You know, we had a, we had a Jeep one time that was owned by Bob Eaton when he was, uh, but but it was a different Bob Eaton. Really? Yeah, we bought it in a, not <laughs> it Bob a, Eaton of Chrysler. It was a different Bob Eaton. But it was a Bob Eaton in Detroit mm-hmm. at the right time when uh, when he was president. So that you can say that. Yeah, exactly. Where we, had, we had Bob Eaton's Jeep. Okay, guys. So uh, this about wraps it up for us. Obviously, we have presented some very high value, unique vehicles, but it doesn't mean uh, that they are by any means the only vehicle vehicles with a story out there. You may own a used car and be surprised by what happened to it before it became part of your life. So we'd like to send out a call to uh, everybody listening out there in the internet land. You guys, thanks so much for uh, hanging out with us again. And uh, check with our Facebook, Car Stuff. Check with our Twitter, at Car Stuff as well. And uh, Scott's awesome blog. And uh, if you have a story that you think uh, the rest of the listeners should hear about your unusual car uh, or someone you know, send us an email at carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between, like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So, Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly. How much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.